Christian greetings to all of you this morning. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who the scripture says, washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a privilege that is. This is the service that we refer to often as our council meeting. In some settings, they refer to it as the preparatory service, you know, in preparation for communion. Some other settings, they refer to it as the examination meeting. I think that's very fitting, the examination meeting. Because, in fact, it is a time of self-examination. It is a time when we, we take personal inventory of our spiritual lives. The scripture says that we must not take of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And so, it is a serious thing. We are a part of a body of believers, a local body of believers, and we take that seriously. In Lamentations 3, verses 40 and 41, we read, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. And as I look at those verses, I'm reminded of the need to daily renew that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine ourselves and, and return back to the Lord. We are prone to wonder as human beings. As the song says, prone to leave the God we love. But he says, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. That's a picture of transparency. That's a picture of a person saying, Lord, here I am. Search me. Look at my life. Here I am. I want to be open and transparent before you and others. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Speaking of the communion service. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. And so once again, it is so vitally important that we take personal inventory regularly of our spiritual life. Where are we at in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with others? I would like for us to think for a few moments this morning about the work of washing the work of washing. And I don't, I'm not implying that, that this washing is a lot of hard work, <laughs> although it is. But that's not what I mean necessarily by the work of washing. I'm talking about this thing of washing, okay, that we find in Scripture. We would like to look specifically at four Scriptures that speak about the importance of washing. And all four of these washings are vitally important uh, to our spiritual health individually as well as the spiritual health of our congregation. Once again, you understand, this congregation is made up of individuals, okay? It's made up of me and you and you and you and you, okay? And so 
If we would like a congregation that is holy and pure and on fire for the Lord and zealous about outreach and so on and so forth, then it, it means that we personally, we individually need to have that within us. We need to pursue that in our individual life, in our personal life. The congregation is made up of many individuals. I invite you, first of all, to turn to Psalm 51. Once again, we're looking at four scriptures specifically this morning that speak about the importance of washing. And point number one this morning is simply, wash me. Wash me. It was the cry of David's heart in this psalm. Now you understand that this is the psalm that was written by David after the prophet Nathan came to him and exposed his sinful scheme of adultery and murder. And this is the cry of David's heart as he was faced with that. His sin had been revealed. Someone has said that what dirt is to the body Sin is to the inner person. What dirt is to the body, sin is to the inner person. And here in this passage, David was dirty. And he knew it. He felt it. In fact, for almost a whole year, he had hid his sinful scheme of adultery and murder. He had hid that from the people. Think about that. For almost a whole year, living with that hanging over you, being a leader of the people, knowing the truth within you, and working to hide that. But dear people, he couldn't hide it from God. God knew all the dirty details of that whole sinful scheme. And so here, David was a miserable person. Can you imagine? Maybe you can. David was a miserable person. No doubt you've felt in your own life the guilt, the condemnation that comes along with unconfessed sin. Sin that is being harbored in your life that you're ashamed to expose. What looked so great at the beginning now felt horrible and you didn't want to let it out. You were in bondage to that. But David's deception and cover-up had taken a serious toll on him. And now he was crying out to God for forgiveness, for cleansing. He wanted to be clean again. Oh, the joy of a clean conscience. Oh, the joy of a cleansed heart. <laughs> I've felt that before when I was dirty and finally came to the place of confessing, making things right. That burden being lifted off of me. Wow, what a freeing feeling that is. And I trust that you've all experienced that. Here David's cry was, have mercy upon me. Wash me. And I want us to note that this kind of washing is something that only God can do. 
Only God can do this kind of washing. Follow along as I read this passage. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Wash me, was David's cry, realizing that this was something that he could not do for himself. As miserable as he was, he could not do anything about this. It was God who could do the cleansing. And he was crying out to God for that work. And yet what is so foundational to the work of washing is the part of repentance. Repentance is when we in our heart acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge that we have done wrong. And we come to the place of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's an inner attitude that stems from wrongdoing. David said in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I want us to note how unconfessed sin in the life affects the whole person from head to foot. And David brings that out in this passage. Unconfessed sin in the life affects the whole person from head to foot. I say David was a miserable man. Let's notice that. Verse 3, it affected his eyes. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Okay, so maybe it wasn't his physical eyes, but it was the eyes of his heart. He was always seeing what he had done wrong. Oh, he couldn't get it away from him. He kept having these flashbacks. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, you see what I'm saying? It affected his eyes, his focus. It affected his mind. Verse 6. 
Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. (laughs) Something was wrong there. It affected his mind. He was not at rest, not at peace. And he wanted to have truth once again in the inward parts, in his mind. It affected his ears, verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness, implying that he was not experiencing that. He was not hearing that. It affected his bones. Verse 8. He felt as if his bones were broken. It affected his heart. Verse 10. Along with his spirit. In verse 10. He cried for a clean heart. He cried out for a right spirit. It affected his fellowship. Look at verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see that? Sin is a separator. Sin separates us from God and from others. When there is sin in our life, it affects our relationships with others. We may think we can hide that, and yet it is felt in relationships. There's something not right. There's something not genuine. Something's missing. And David cried out for his fellowship to be restored with God and others. Verse 12, this unconfessed sin in his life was affecting his joy. (laughs) He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It affected his joy. Verse 13, it affected his testimony. He said, once I get right with the Lord, once I get cleaned up, once I get washed, then I will be able to effectively teach sinners. David understood that his his broken relationship with the Lord was affecting his ministry to others. We must ponder that for ourselves. David knew that his dirty spirit, that his dirty heart, was affecting his relationship and his fellowship and his testimony as well. It affected his hands. Verse 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Now, blood guiltiness here is referring to Uriah's blood on David's hands. David had planned that scheme as a cover-up, murdering Uriah, having his wife. And here he says, oh Lord, I want to have clean hands. I want to have clean hands again. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. It affected his tongue, verse 14. And my tongue shall sing aloud. (laughs) When you have experienced deliverance in your life, certainly it affects our tongue. And we find out in in verse 15, it affects our our lips and our mouth. (laughs) All kind of one package, is it not? But when, when someone has experienced deliverance, It brings about a spontaneous response of thanks, of praise. And to the believer, a song bursts forth. 
from his lips. David was crying out to God for deliverance, realizing that, you know, I don't know. It makes me wonder. You know, David is known as, as the one who wrote so many songs. He was the musician, the beautiful musician, the beautiful singer of Israel. I wonder what his music writing was like during these months. I wonder. I'm not sure we have record of that. But David is implying that it was hindered. Implying that it was hindered. I say once again that unconfessed sin in the life affects the whole person from head to foot. David was a miserable person. And now he is crying out to God, God, wash me, wash me from my iniquities. You know, as a New Testament believer this morning, I am so deeply thankful for the cleansing blood of Jesus. Are you not? For the cleansing blood of Jesus. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and notice three verses here. First Corinthians 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you and me. That would be a terrible ending, would it not? And yet, that's not the ending, praise God. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Praise God for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And Justin, I appreciate you reading those verses from 1 John this morning because they tie in so very well with this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the verse before that say? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's beautiful, because the promise there to us today is as we walk in the light, we are being cleansed. You know, sometimes we get so, so burdened of our sin and, and worry and, uh, oh no, maybe I won't make it. I'm just a no good person. I, 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 I have a problem with this. I keep sinning and, oh no, maybe Jesus won't accept me and, oh, I don't know if I'll make it to heaven. And dear people, the promise is if we walk in the light, if our practice is walking in the light as he is in the light, then we do have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us. It's a continual process. We are being cleansed as we intentionally, purposefully walk in the light. That is beautiful. How assuring that is. That gives me hope. <laughs> that gives me rich blessing in my life. It is an ongoing process. It's, it's like as believers, we are standing under the waterf waterfall, as it were, of the blood of Christ being cleansed. As we walk in the light. Wash me. 
Secondly, wash you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. In Psalm 51, it was the cry of David's heart for God to wash him. That was something that only God could do. Here in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we note that this is something that only we can do. This washing is something that only we can do. No one can do this for us. This rests on us. Wash you, Isaiah 1.16. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. We'll read verse 18 too. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now verse 18 there, once again, is the washing that God does. But I want to note specifically verses 16 and 17. You see, in, in Psalm 51, the washing there was God's part. It was an inner cleansing of the heart. And here... In verses 16 and 17, it is our part. It is an outward cleansing of the life. An outward cleansing of the life. And so, of first importance, is a genuine sorrow for sin. That is this thing of repentance. An attitude of, of sorrow for sin. I repent of that. But following that must be a conscious effort to break the practice of it in our life, okay? okay? There's, there's more than just simply saying, I'm sorry, and then going back into it. No, that's not true sorrow. True sorrow for a sin is expressed in then breaking the practice of it in our lives, taking steps to break that practice, okay? It's a change of lifestyle. And so this washing here, It refers to a personal change of lifestyle. And once again, I want to say that, that this personal change of lifestyle is not grounds for God's forgiveness in and of itself. Instead, it is a proof that our repentance has been genuine. You understand what I'm saying? It is a proof that our repentance has been genuine. No one can do this washing for us. It's something that only we can do through the power of Jesus Christ. Not in and of ourselves, but through the power of God. And so the word of God uh, to his unfaithful people here was, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. How? I ask the question, how? Well, verse 16, by putting away sinful living. By ceasing from evil. And I want you to note the standard here. The standard is not, oh, what I think it should be. It's, it's not how much I think I should stop doing or, or where I think I shouldn't go or this or that. But what does it say? God says, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. 
The standard is God's view, not ours. It's God's view. And God has made that clear throughout his, his whole scripture, okay? There's many, many examples of what that is to mean, how that is to look to us today. The standard is God's view. And so how, how do we wash ourselves? Well, first of all, by putting away sinful living, by ceasing from evil. But that's not enough. Verse 17 goes on to say, by then putting on righteousness, by putting on right living, by doing the right thing. It's not enough to just simply stop doing the wrong thing, but then we must do the right thing. And verse 17 makes that clear. You know, I find it fascinating that long before the Apostle Paul ever wrote his letters, the prophet Isaiah here spoke the same instructions, and that was first put off and then put on. <laughs> find that fascinating because the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of this time and time again. In fact, let's quickly note the one in Ephesians chapter 4. Especially in Ephesians and Colossians, he, he talks about this. Uh, Romans 13 as well. But Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 20 through 24. Just prior to these verses, the Apostle Paul is writing about uh, the lifestyle of the Gentiles, or we could say the unbelievers. And then he says in verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard of him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In, in that verse there, uh, when it says be renewed, it means be renovated. Your mind needs to be renovated. It needs to be overhauled, okay? You need to have a new mind. That's, that is central to this whole thing, okay? Verse 22 says you need to put off this. And verse 24 says you need to put on this. But central to that is a change of mind. Okay? It speaks of true repentance. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In other words... You want to be like Christ. It's a new desire in life. You want to be more like Jesus. And so that is then fleshed out in how you live your life. That inner desire to be like Christ is fleshed out in how I look, in how I act, in how I talk, in how I think. It's a way of life. The King James refers to it as our conversation. More than just speech, though, it's our way of life. Once again, this washing is something that only you can do. And it refers to a personal change of lifestyle. Once again, it's not the grounds for God's forgiveness in and of itself, but it is a proof. I say it is a proof of a genuine repentance. It, what, it is what comes after. It's about having first things first. Wash me, wash you, and then Wash each other. Wash each other. And turn to John chapter 13. 
This is a passage that we often look at in our feet washing service. We will touch it very briefly here this morning because it will probably get touched on more next Sunday. But here, when we think of washing each other, it's a picture of sacrificial love and humble service. Sacrificial love and humble service. We're thinking about our relationships among us as a congregation, as a brotherhood. John 13, 14, and 15. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Jesus said, I have washed your feet. Now I want you to wash each other's feet. Now, we certainly, uh, in our circles, take that as a, as a literal command. We have a literal, uh, we observe that literally, okay? At our communion service, we have also a feet washing service. We take that literally. Uh, we consider it an ordinance. See, you understand that <laughs> the thrust here, washing each other's feet at our communion service is really not about washing feet. You understand that. Many of you do. Maybe some of you younger ones don't. When we wash feet, uh, you know, ladies and men, wherever we are when we do that, it's not really about washing feet. It's not that, well, it's been a half a year and our feet are dirty, we better wash. No, it's not that at all. It's so much more than that, obviously. And so I say the practice of feet washing is what we consider an ordinance. It's an outward act that teaches an inner meaning. It's something that we do in the physical that reminds us of a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth here is about sacrificial love. It's about humble service. It's about equality among the brethren. We're all on the same level. None is greater than the other. And so I am saying that washing each other's feet needs to happen often in the life of the brotherhood. Uh, certainly weekly, and perhaps in some ways even daily, washing feet needs to happen often in the life of the brotherhood. You see, it is through acts of sacrificial love and humble service that the local body of believers is preserved and protected. That is how Ebenezer congregation is going to be preserved and protected. Not because you're a part of the Good family or the Martin family or the Yoders or the Mass or whoever you are. It's not that at all. It's not about any of your personal credentials. But it's because you have learned through the power of God to die to self and to live for the good of others. It's because you've learned and are learning this thing of forgiveness. That is what is going to protect and preserve the Ebenezer congregation. It's through that. It's through washing each, uh, each other's feet. You know, the Bible says that a sincere spirit of love for each other is the glue, as it were, that holds the brotherhood together in unity. 
Turn to Colossians chapter 3. A sincere love for the brotherhood is the glue that holds us together in unity. No, it's not that we all dress exactly alike. It's not that we all think exactly alike. It's not those things. It's not that we all drive the same car. That's not what true unity is. The Bible makes it clear that true unity is experienced through a sincere spirit of love among the brothers and sisters. Colossians 3 Verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let me read that verse again. I didn't read it quite right. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Different emphasis makes it read a little differently and makes it mean a little differently sometimes. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Have you noticed that before, verse 15? It just struck me this morning as I was preparing for this again. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. If you are a body of believers, you are called to practice peace. You are called as a part of this congregation to be in the peacemaking business. That is a part of your calling. And dear people, when we all take that seriously, that will go a long way in preserving this congregation for the glory of God. When we take peace as an important part of our life and the life of the brotherhood. Wash me, wash you, Wash each other. And then lastly, wash wounds. We are called as brothers and sisters to wash wounds. And I invite you to Acts chapter 16. And I want to note the example of the Philippian jailer. But here as we think of washing wounds, dear people, we're thinking about making our wrongs right making our wrongs right. You know as well as I do that in a, well, in any relationships, <laughs> relationships are a beautiful thing. And truly, it's, it's in relationships that we can experience heaven on earth. But unfortunately, sometimes in relationships, people also experience a bit of hell on earth, sadly. And often in those situations, it's because wrongs are not being made right. Wrongs are not being made right. And as we look at this little account in Acts chapter 16, I'm just blessed and I'm challenged to ponder, well, what am I doing in this pursuit of 
washing wounds in the brotherhood, not only in the brotherhood, but, but in my family, yeah, with my wife, with my children. How am I doing in this area of making my wrongs right? Now, we won't read all of this, but I'll simply uh, tell you some of the story again. But, but here in Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas uh, in Philippi, and there's some accusations that are brought against them in verses 20 and 21. We read that the, the magistrates were saying, uh, these men, or actually the people were telling the magistrates, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Okay, so accusations being brought against Paul and Silas. Evidently, the people felt like they were stirring up the norm there, causing difficulty and, and trouble in the city. Well... As a result of that, the magistrates, it says, they tore Paul and Silas's clothes off and they whipped them severely. Whipped them severely. I don't think we, I don't think we can understand exactly what that would be like in our soft American culture. We hear some stories. But, you know, this was sort of the life of the Apostle Paul. This wasn't the first time, probably wasn't the last time it happened. But they were, they were stripped of their clothes and then whipped severely. And it says, verse 23, after they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. And I want you to note here the charge that was given to the jailer. The jailer was charged to keep them safely, like these were really dangerous men. Okay, Keep them safely. And verse 24, it says, who having received such a charge... He put them in the inner prison. I mean, this was like death row with the worst, the most dangerous criminals. Put their feet fast in the stocks. Note the testimony of Paul and Silas in the midst of such great pain. In the midst of such great pain, the testimony that they had. No, they weren't pouting. Instead, we have... A service here. We have a, a, a service of prayer and praise. Paul and Silas, it says, were praying. And they were praising God. They were singing hymns. And what a testimony that was. It says the, the other prisoners heard them. And certainly God heard them. Because we see the result here. There was a huge earthquake. Disrupted everything. The foundations were shaken. Things were breaking loose. And the prisoners were loosed. And we have here the jailer running in on this scene. Okay, you remember the charge that he received. You remember the responsibility that he had for these prisoners. I don't know how many it was. But I picture him coming, running in, running through the prison. And he's like, oh no, but where is everybody? And, and he drew for his sword. And it says he was getting ready to kill himself. Too many times our attitude would be, well, let him have it. Let him have it. Then we can run free. And that wasn't the attitude of the Apostle Paul or Silas. They said, hold up, sir. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Talk about a redemptive attitude. Talk about sharing life in a deadly situation. 
And here we have a suicide thwarted. And instead, the gospel was preached and a soul was saved just like that. Wow. You know, the man came running in and almost killed himself. And then Paul said, don't. And then you see the response of the man. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't even, he didn't even address that subject yet. But there was something about the testimony. There was something about the, yeah, the testimony of Paul and Silas in that unbearable situation that spoke to the man and God used that to bring his sinfulness to light. And he said, I need something that I don't have and I want what those men have. What must I do to receive it? And then they shared the gospel. I want you to notice the tender response of a life that was changed. It says here that the jailer immediately, the same hour, immediately took them to his own house. He washed their messy wounds and he fed them a good meal. This was in the middle of the night. Warren Wearsby writes this, It is touching to see the change in attitude of the jailer as he washed the wounds of these two prisoners who were now his brothers in Christ. One of the evidences of true repentance is a loving desire to make restitution and reparation wherever we have hurt others. We should not only wash one another's feet, but we should also cleanse the wounds we have given to others. And I can just, I can picture this jailer who was at one point such a hardened man, no doubt, because of his life and his occupation and all of that, who is now weeping as he is, as he is cleaning these messy wounds. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, can you imagine the change of emotions? Can you imagine the sorrow he felt then, knowing who these men really were. Washing wounds. How can we practice this here in our congregation today? Ephesians 4.32 And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 once again. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know, remember the attitude of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross in unimaginable pain. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Think of Stephen as he knelt to the ground and took the terrible blows of the rocks that were being thrown at him. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You see, at the very center of washing wounds is a heart of Christ-like compassion for our brother or sister. It's genuine forgiveness. It's a redemptive attitude 
It's a sincere desire for peace. It's assuming the best in the other. It's not assuming that they're out to get you. It's not assuming that they're trying to slander you. It's not assuming the worst in them. It's assuming that that they made a mistake. It's assuming the best. It's a redemptive attitude. You see, washing wounds is about giving life to strained relationships. It's about giving life. We could look at more passages, and I think for sake of time we won't. But you realize in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks a bit about um, when we have, when there is ought, (laughs) when there is something between us and a brother and sister, what to do about it. Also in Matthew chapter 18, there's a procedure given there by the Lord Jesus himself. That's powerful. It's not simply written by man or by conference or by this or by that. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is how you deal with offenses, with strained relationships, with sin in the brotherhood. Read that again. Perhaps you can read some of those passages this week as you prepare for our communion service. And ponder in your life how you're doing in those areas. The work of washing. Wash me, wash you, wash each other, and wash wounds. And dear people, may each one of us take this work seriously. May our congregation be an example of life and beauty that brings rich blessing to many lives. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified through it. Let's bow our heads for prayer.